This is episode 73 of the Dear Discreet Guide Trouble at Work podcast. This episode is titled, Getting Angry About Bad Leadership. It's New Year's Eve, so I wanted to leave you a special message. Uh, This is the last podcast of this year and of the decade. And when I started the podcast this year, I had no idea how far it would come and how many episodes we would do and really how much I would enjoy it. I would like to sincerely thank you for listening and for your support and interest in the show, which we will continue next year. I wish you a wonderful new year, and I hope the next decade treats you well. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work, the advice show where we talk about work-related issues or challenges and some ideas and suggestions for how to deal with them. I'm Jennifer Crittenden, a former CFO and the host of the show, and I thank you for joining me in my quest to make our workplaces better and more welcoming to everyone. Let's do this. I'm so delighted to have a new guest on the show today. Anil Saxena is with us. And I met Anil actually through LinkedIn, uh, through an article that he wrote about bad leadership, which of course caught my eye. And I'll uh, introduce him. He is a recovering engineer, and he realized early in his career that the most important part of an organization are the people. Music to my ears. And he uh, leverages over 20 years of experience as an internal leader and external consultant to partner with companies and individuals to make a positive, lasting impact. And he's laser-focused on unleashing the power of HR to make organizations hyper-successful. So right up my alley. A couple more things here. Uh, When he, in his consulting work, he excels at working with leaders to develop results-driven solutions that align culture objectives with business strategies, resulting in a more effective, productive, and successful workplace. He's a relational leader and organizational change expert and is adept at bringing simplicity and clarity to complex issues, enabling leaders to pursue a well-planned course of action comprised of practical steps and data-fueled insights. You know, I had to say that, data-fueled insights. I'm like, (laughs) yay! All right. So uh, welcome to the show, Anil. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right, so we met through this article that you wrote, and I have to read the title here for my listeners. It's called Get Angry, Bad Leadership is Killing the Organization. And you have this photograph there of a guy who does indeed look super mad. And is that the guy from Network? It is. It's the scene of, uh, you know, we're fed up and we're not going to take it anymore. Yeah, Um, I'm not going to take it anymore. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I wish that we could just yell that out the windows and that would solve our problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If that did, I'd be solving a lot of problems. Exactly. I think. <laughs> so on this podcast, you know, I hear a lot about people's problems at work and it does get pretty frustrating after a while to just hear story after story about bad leadership that is in fact, you know, killing the organization and, and how damaging, how much damage is done. And you started off your article 
saying that there was a question that was posted on Quora about you know, ways in which bad, manage, bad leadership destroy a company culture. And you said you, you started to post something and then realized that you're getting kind of mad as you, were, as you were composing your answer. And so if it's not too personal, can you tell us about your own experiences with that? Yeah, of course, not too personal at all. And uh, and thanks again for for having me. I really appreciate the topic. And I think the thing that uh, made me upset was, uh, you know, there there was there were a lot of answers, <laughs> um, which I thought was interesting. And I think the thing that started to to dawn on me was that we talk about this kind of stuff a lot, right? About this idea of leaders within organizations that either don't represent our values or undermine employees or what have you. And there's billions of dollars that are spent on leadership development. There's a uh, a book by uh, Jeffrey Pfeiffer. He's a a professor of business at Stanford University. And um, it's called uh, something like the BS leadership uh, industry or something like that. I don't remember the title exactly. But essentially what he talks about is that we spend billions of dollars on this industry to help leaders get better at being leaders and it's failing. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> it's miserably. To put a fine point on it, right? Right. right. And so I think as I was looking at all of the examples that people were coming up with, it made me start to think about my own personal examples. And it's sort of a, a little bit of an origin story when it, leading me up to this uh, work that I'm doing, really enabling and partnering with HR to help them understand how to drive real bottom line organizational results and create great workplaces at the same time. So, I mean, to, just from my own experience, right? I, I, I graduated uh, college a hundred years ago, which uh, with a degree in bachelor in mechanical engineering, and uh, my first manager uh, was on this design team for the McCormick Place expansion. It's this conference building in Chicago. His method of uh, of leadership was walking around, yelling at people, getting in their faces, and telling them what a horrible job they were doing and questioning why they got hired. And wow. um, it was just, it was, hor- it was my first job. And uh, so that was my first experience. And then fast forward a few years later, I had kind of shifted careers to, to work in, in, in this arena of sort of people engineering or human engineering in organizations. And I worked for a VP who would, ask us questions in in these meetings, these leadership meetings that we had, and she would tell us that our opinions were wrong. Oh, wow. Great. (laughs) Right? And then the third one that made me, they made me think of this was, uh, right, I I worked again for another leader who uh, was just the the worst micromanager. Um, He would, you know, give you an assignment to do and then just kind of want to make sure that he's checking in on every itty bitty little step. And so, and the problem I thought as I, as I was thinking about writing the answer to this question was that 
when you bring these things up, when, when bad leadership is pointed out in organizations, oftentimes they're, they're, the response is either nothing or it's met with, oh, well, we need to do some leadership development, right? Some kind of band-aid that's put in place to give these people skills to be more, quote unquote, empathetic. But um, what ends up happening is that nothing changes. Uh, and it just made me think that there's this thing that's called learned helplessness, right? So uh, Martin Seligman came up with it a long time ago. And, and essentially, it's this idea that even though you know something isn't working or is harming you, you continue to do it because you don't know what not doing it would be like or what the alternative might be. And so I thought, well, gee, isn't that something that we're kind of facing in leaders or in leadership now with bad leaders is this idea of um, learn, leadership learned helplessness. And, and just one caveat, right? That uh, So I've gotten the opportunity to work with some pretty incredible organizations that drive great results. And you know, I've witnessed those in my own sort of consulting spirit experience, working with Gallup, being a partner at Great Place to Work. And, you know, the, the, these are kind of shining examples of exceptional leadership. But the problem is, is it's not consistent, right, within, in, within the industry and within organizations. That, that's a real problem, right? So, so we allow this poor leadership to exist. Uh, don't call it out. Don't make sure that we're really focusing on having that consistent level of uh, really powerful, exceptional leaders like we would for customer experience or developing a product or uh, maybe making sure that we have a high level of quality consistency consistently across the organization. So yeah, that that was sort of, sorry, that's a long-winded sort of answer to your question about what was it that got me angry about answering that question? Right. So there are a couple of things you brought up that I definitely want to come back to. One of them is this tolerance for bad management that we wouldn't tolerate in other aspects of our organization. That is fascinating. And I definitely want to talk about, more about that. But to um, bring our listeners up to speed a little bit, the article that you talked about says that the you list some resources there for things where you can go look at, hey, here are some leadership mistakes. Don't do this. <laughs> and, then, and so you provide that to your readers. And then you say, but, you know, the thing about this is, is it all boils down to things we already know. And that so resonated with me and struck me. So I thought you and I could play a little game here where we name off as fast as we can some leadership mistakes <laughs> and see um, if we're surprised by any of them. So uh, if you want to name off five of them right off the bat, and then I'll name off five and uh, see if we run out. So sure. go. Uh, uh, all right. So uh, micromanaging, um, taking credit for somebody's work, Ooh, nasty. Uh, right? Yelling. Uh-huh. Uh, plotting teammates against each other. Excellent. Uh, yeah. So, so, so th- there's a handful right there. Exactly. Talking behind people's back. I've seen that. Or playing favorites. Like people, like these bosses don't think people are going to notice that they're playing favorites. Uh, let's see. So inconsistent rules and policies. 
uh, what else can I come up with? Being mean. So you're yelling kind of is like that, but people can be pretty mean. Oh, and then this one I was thinking about. So manipulating people or even like attributing negative um, uh, motivations to employees, like thinking that employees are plotting behind them. Anyway, we, we, we <laughs> oh, could probably do this all day. Right. I love that. Like that whole idea of the pointy haired Dilbert manager that just comes to mind. <laughs> right? Right? It, right. Do, it does make you think about that though. And, and it's funny when you, when you talk about these kind of things, people can come up with stories and examples to endless stories and examples. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I asked a question like this on LinkedIn a few years ago and uh, the, the number of things that I got were just, it was extraordinary. And especially when it's not just fantasy, right? We're not just sitting around creating them, but we've actually lived this. Because some of them, I don't think I would have made up, right? It's just like, well, that's just too cruel. No one would do that. Oh, this one did. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very, very true. I, I think it's uh, it's unfortunate, right, that you and I, in a matter of what, 20 seconds or, or something like that, we can come up with 10 or 15 different things that, that, that happen regularly uh, with leaders um, within organizations. And, and I would also say, these aren't just like small things, like, oh, I wish he didn't chew gum. These are like big, really things that would transform your job, right? If you discover yeah. that your boss has been talking behind your back to somebody else, that can really be deflating. I mean, that can change your whole attitude, not just about that day, but even about that job or even that company, right? So yeah. hurtful. No, you're so right, Jennifer. And, and I think, so when, when I was at Gallup, and, and this is these are studies they've continued to do, one of the things that uh, one of the authors of First Break All the Rules, Kirk Kaufman, said was that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And the, the basis of that statement was millions and millions of points of data that showcased how important a people leader uh, is to the success of a team, to the engagement of an individual, and to the overall success of an organization. And so when we aren't hyper focused on whether or not we have a consistently high level of leadership uh, of really great leadership that can undermine the overall success of an organization and i think one of the things that gets in the way of whether or not that is something that senior leaders pay attention to is that we in HR, many folks in HR, haven't been able to showcase the connection between great leadership and business results and not so great leadership and business results. And so one of the things that that I talk about a lot in in my coaching is this idea of really making sure that we're connecting the work that we're doing uh, to driving bottom line organizational results connected to metrics that matter. And so if we take uh, those great leaders, right, because you can find that they're through performance data and and business results data and employee engagement data, and we kind of identify who all those people are, and then we take the opposite of those people, we can measure 
results and then make a business case to show that, hey, if we even increased the, the number of those people that showed really great business results and had really high engagement, if we increase that by 10% or 15%, we'd be able to see a 10% increase in productivity or $5 million on the bottom line or whatever that is. And so that's really the, the thing that we need to start doing a lot more of because it's not just that it makes us miserable, which it does. It also undermines our ability to be innovative, creative, have great customer service, and all of that sort of thing. If I'm worried about whether my leader is talking about me behind my back, how am I supposed to do good work? Yeah, it seems intuitively right, but I think you've put, you've put your finger on the problem is we have not been able to make this case to organizations in such a way that they get it, that they... That they embrace the fact, as you said at the very beginning, that this is as important as things like customer satisfaction yeah, or your stock price or all these other metrics that, that we really don't tolerate poor performance in, but somehow for leadership, we do. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think what's interesting to me is, so, so there, are, there are thousands, uh, millions of really great leaders. There, there are people who love the work of being a leader. They, they support their teams. They make a difference every day. And, and, and so there are tons of examples of those people. The, the problem is that we don't really give them as much credit as we could or should give them because somehow the result, right, that sort of did you make enough widgets or sell enough widgets at a certain price or innovate some new way to use a widget that somehow those things alone in isolation have become the measure of success so i think that the thing that that i believe we need to understand is what gets us to those outcomes right because you don't make more widgets just by turning the crank faster necessarily, right? You make more widgets because you have employees that are engaged in what they're doing, that the maintenance of the machines is exceptional, that there's all these factors. And those factors are predicated or built on whether or not people are engaged, uh, if people are enthusiastic, motivated. Uh, and so we, we have this tendency to identify these end outcome metrics. Mm -hmm. And we just don't do a good enough job of getting underneath those. And I think part of that is on HR, right? That, that we need to really help people see that the metrics that matter, the, those are influenced really heavily by things like leadership and engagement and, uh, and, and leadership development and onboarding and all those kinds of things. Yeah, I th I, unfortunately, I do think that a lot of these problems come from other problems related to HR. Just the, the people who often have chosen that profession are those that are not necessarily respected by higher management. I mean, there, we, could, <laughs> we could go on a whole list of, right. of why HR is so disempowered in these organizations. But I think you've landed on something interesting that 
there are certain things that we can measure, which are useful to measure, but we haven't made the connection to engaged employees driving those particular metrics. And I do have to say for me personally, at fairly early in my career, I became very interested in employee development and really embraced that as a big part of my job, right? That that was, I just thought it was really cool to work with a team and watch them develop as individuals and as a team. But I have to say, I can't say, I mean, other than being beloved by my employees, I, I, I can't say that there was any, that that did anything for me. I mean, I suppose I passed, you know, got some boxes checked. Yeah. Okay. Manager. But I can't say that it turned into anything particularly compensating for me. I mean, I had a very successful career and got promoted and I'm sure being a manager was just part of that, but I can't say that I ever got any special like pat on the back for, Oh, your employees love you. I, I don't think that ever happened. Right. Yeah. And, 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 Unfortunately, that is a tale that has been heard too often in organizations. The, the, the problem that we face is that we just don't or haven't taken the time to make that correlation between, well, what if your engagement was lower or higher? What mm-hmm. would that do? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the influence? And I think you know, you look at other parts of the organization. And we do that kind of stuff all the time. So we toggle different variables and look to see what the output is. And then, you know, we can understand what the downstream and upstream impacts are. And, and we just haven't done a good enough job in doing that in sort of the human capital part of, of the way that we work. And I think that's why we tolerate a lot of sort of bad actors in, in leadership is that we just haven't figured out what the levers are that push and pull exceptional performance within organizations, or we just haven't admitted that we don't know what those things are. Mm-hmm. I was thinking today, and, and follow me here because I'm going to go off in the weeds. I was thinking today, you know, it does seem to me that a fundamental part of this problem is that basically companies don't appreciate their individual employees. And I think sometimes it comes down to just people problems, right? Because people are complicated and it's almost like they just see their employees as just troublesome. And, And I think there's this idea often of, well, if I didn't have this cast of characters, you know, there's so much more that I could do or see how these guys are just a bunch of problem makers. But, you know, if I could get an open rec and I could bring in this employee. And and so we have, you see it a lot, right? When a job posting comes up and then people start talking about oh, what we could get. And, I, you know, it's this just, there's this thing that seems to happen where, well, the ones we've got are kind of, but, oh, you know, that the, they're out there, these dream employees that can come in. And I, I'm always struck by it. It's like, well, how about making these guys your dream employees? I mean, you, you hired them once. <laughs> I don't know. It just struck me today that we just we just seem to get disillusioned with their own employees and, and kind of wish that they'd leave. And so when they do, it's like, oh, now, now we get a great one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, 
I, I do understand that. And I think it's an interesting phenomenon. And I think it's just part of the human condition, right? That we, we, we strive to get that new job. And then once we get that new job, we recognize, well, hey, this isn't too different than, than the old job that I had. And <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, it's, it's same garbage, different day or different mm-hmm. place. And so I think that that's just part of kind of how we operate uh, as human beings. You know, we're always kind of functioning as if the next thing or the new thing is is going to be better. So I think there's definitely some of that. And I think the the one of the things I want to pull on that you identified was this idea that people are complex. You know, that <laughs> that's sort of the the master of the the obvious. Uh, super sort of thing that you identified that I think is so incredible because that that is what makes people exceptional right that that is what makes us strategic advantage uh, that that is what makes us able to innovate to create to uh, do things that machines can't and probably never will be able to do but it also makes us terribly inefficient. And it means that we can't create discrete processes to handle every single thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And, and so I think that there's this kind of push and pull that people are, or that organizations are, are in the midst of, right? We're, we're seeing that we have had all of this exceptional advancement with regards to technology and productivity is gone through the roof since the 50s and the 70s and even the 80s. And through uh, technology and and through uh, uh, productivity tools and, and all of those sorts of things. But now that is becoming rather ubiquitous, right? There isn't a whole, there aren't a whole lot of organizations that that don't have technology that, that that aren't aware of these kinds of tools. And so now the the big way to gain difference is going to be through people. Mm. That's the other part of this equation, the other part that really kind of frosted me about this whole idea of this leadership learned helplessness is that we are in a time right now in this sort of quote unquote future of work, we hear that all the time, right? Mm-hmm. We're in a time where we can do more as individuals than probably at any time in history and produce more and accomplish more. We can work from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And yet our organizations, our style of leadership, our way of getting things done in groups, uh, has not advanced. Right. <laughs> we, we, we haven't we haven't really taken that same path. Mm-hmm. So I think that we're sort of suffering from this, well, you know, we have this hierarchy and and Jane here or Joe here is been around for a while and yeah, I know they have their foibles, but uh, you know, they're they're doing the best that they can. And, and we just you wouldn't accept that from any other part of the organization. I think that's one of the things that we have to come to grips with is that this is a brand new world. And mm-hmm. so leaders that don't meet the, the, the mark, right, they can't produce results and have exceptionally engaged teams, it shouldn't be leaders. 
And not everybody should be a leader, just like not everybody can be a baseball pitcher or a violin player or a, a stunt car driver, right? That, that's just the nature of the beast. Yeah, let's let's drill down on that a little bit. So in the article, you talk about um, writing a book called The Three Steps to Wipe Out All Bad Management for All Time. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> up that book. And then you quickly point out that it would probably be full of of platitudes that that probably won't help, which I think is getting back to this idea that that we're complicated and working with each other is is not is hard to reduce to three simple steps. But uh, what you were talking about also reminds me of my own pet peeve, and that is that we'll often tell people things like all those articles that are out there about don't do this and don't do that, but we don't actually show them what that would look like. And to your point there, exactly, we don't call them on it when they do it. So to take our example of a micromanager, I mean, micromanaging might look different to some people than others, right? But I think it really is on us to ask our employees, do you feel as though I'm micromanaging you on this? Or conversely, if we see someone who's a micromanager, we have to call them on it. And that's, you know, this is part of challenging conversations and difficult discussions. We just, we're so risk averse. And so we won't, you know, everybody holds back. Like you say, oh, they just have their foibles. But you talk in your article about getting some data around it. And I I love that idea. And I think one of the easy ones to, to that I'll throw out there, and then I'll uh, throw the ball back to you, is turnover. And so if people really are leaving bad bosses, which I think is true, over time, we should see who's being left, right? Who, who do people not want to work for? And I've never seen that done at the, at the level of a manager or even a department, right? We look at it for the whole company, and even then, nobody seems to take it very seriously. <laughs> so back to you. Yeah, no, I, I'm sorry. I'm shaking my head up and down here vigorously. That uh, that that conversation about getting down to some real key areas of importance on the the success or the failure of a leader that, that's something that's really important uh, and, and it is something that is actually pretty easy to do now with these very powerful uh, HRIS. Uh, human capital management systems like Workday and uh, and 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 Oracle and uh, uh, Success Factors and, and those kinds of things. I mean, you can drill down to a pretty minute, finite level of, of detail. And so we need we need to get that kind of data and and then bump that data up against other performance data mm. and create measures that help. L- leaders see where are they strong where are they not strong what are the things we need to do more or less of all of those sorts of things so so i think one of the answers is data right is to mm-hmm. really just get honest with ourselves i think the other part of that though is that there is this tendency for us to identify uh, a, a company or a, a consultant 
that has had a big win, right? That like like a Netflix or a Google or uh, Wegmans or WW Granger, and these are great companies. But the work that they did to create a culture in which the the people and people leadership are on equal footing uh, with financial performance and productivity, mm-hmm. that, that has occurred based on some real intentionality and it works in that environment. You can't take that and map that stuff onto any other organization because there's no other organization like Google or Netflix or Wegmans. And so I think that's one th- thing that we do that is disingenuous, right? We, we share these best practices and then believe that somehow if we implement that thing, somehow we're going to magically turn into that other company. Uh-huh. I think the other thing is that there's a tendency for us to look at these quote unquote, at quote unquote experts and, and so many of them, too many of them, uh, haven't had hands-on experience in being people leaders or managing departments themselves. Mm-hmm. They're, they're spouting this knowledge from a, from a point of view of not having any kind of personal hands-on experience. Mm-hmm. I think the, 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 the final thing I'll say about this, um, this idea of we have to be able to make sure that we're helping leaders understand what does good look like? Yeah. What are the steps to take being an exceptional leader, and then rewarding them accordingly. So I'll give you one very small example that I have seen in just about every organization that I've ever either worked in or consulted with. You know, there's this whole performance management process, right? And at the end of the year, there's this performance evaluation, this sort of uh, um, year-end wrap-up of sort of how you did throughout the course of the year. Invariably, there are leaders who don't get that work done. They don't write the, the review. They don't deliver the review. It's so it's so bad to it, do that. It, right? It's so bad. <laughs> it, is, it, it is such an insulting thing to do, at, just at a very base level. Yeah. And yet I have never, and and you know, your listeners, other people can correct me here if I if they've known known of this. I have never, ever seen any leader ever get fired or demoted or anything like that for not finishing those reviews on time. Now, that's a small thing. No, it's not a small thing to the darn employee. That's the thing. Exactly, right? It, and when I say a small thing, it's, it's, not a, it's not an overly complicated task to get done most of the time. It's time-consuming, but not overly complicated. Yeah. And, and yet... We don't hold leaders accountable for doing that sort of thing on on a general basis. And so can you imagine what would happen in an organization if that person that was chronically late for their reviews or didn't do them, um, didn't get a bonus and or got demoted? And the person that got those reviews done on time all the time and delivered great business results got promoted, got a huge bonus. Uh, the message would be so much different. Uh, and it would show employees, it would show leaders, that it would show people that 
people really do matter, that this isn't just a check the box exercise. Right. No, I think it would send a huge message. And, you know, and maybe we just make this harder than we should, because that's an obvious one to track and trace, right? That'd be trivial to to figure that out. Yeah. Sometimes we act like, oh, people manage my, oh, you know, so hard to measure. <laughs> well, shoot, get your dang, you know, evaluations done on time. I have to tell you a story here about data and managers. Uh, let's see. So this is my second boss after MBA school, and he was terrible. And we all hated him. He had come over to the financial analysis department out of internal audit. And so I think he developed to be kind of an asshole, if I can use that word, while he was in internal audit. And the woman who worked for him in internal audit told me that if she were ever to be given the opportunity to kill somebody, she would kill him. And she said, I would do it. I would do it with a hammer. (laughs) The guy was bad. Uh, One of the, and during this time, after he had come over and we worked for him and we all hated him. I won't tell all the stories, but oh my gosh. But of course, of course, it made the team bond really well, right? Because we were all dead set against him. I then was uh, transferred to California. And before I left, we'd gotten an employee satisfaction survey, you know, a whole bunch of questions, right? Dozens and dozens of questions. There were two about your manager. And one of them was, uh, how good do you think your manager is at managing people? One to five. And the other one was, how competent do you think uh, your boss is at his job? something like that, also one to five. And it was all anonymous, right? But this was the first time in my career that I realized that just because it's anonymous doesn't mean that you won't be outed if it's unanimous. So every single person in that department, in my little department, gave him the worst possible scores on both of those questions. And he and I did have sort of a relationship. I mean, there were times when I could sort of talk to him and he called me and he was, he was really upset. And he's, you know, he, he said, I I just don't understand it. I don't understand how I could have gotten these terrible scores. And, and, and on one hand, you know, it means you're a, 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 an observant (laughs) income poop. On the other hand, you know, it's, it is kind of a call for help. So I think you're right. I think sometimes we need to provide these poor leaders either a knock on the head or some kind of feedback, right? Yeah. Uh, no, I I agree with you. I think that uh, it it is unfortunate that there aren't more opportunities for a leader like that to get feedback in a way that is actionable for them uh, and so that they have the opportunity to correct what it is that they're doing or to double down on what they're doing or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, the, one of the things that is lacking within a lot of organizations is this sort of culture of feedback and this idea that you know, there's a, a, a high level of psychological safety within an organization so that you can sort of say what needs to be said and call people out and, you know, uh, uh, be yourself, bring your whole self to work, all those kinds of things. And when there's not that high level of psychological safety, there's not 
a whole lot of honesty in the organization. And there isn't a whole lot of opportunity to give people like that feedback in a way that can really be helpful and enable them to either change what they're doing or look for something different to do. Uh, and I think that that is a very unfortunate thing within organizations that we haven't been able to crack the code to provide a, a space or an opportunity for which employees and leaders can have real good, honest, open feedback. And, and we see that in organizations that are exceptionally high performing, right? They, they do have a culture of feedback. They have consistently excellent feedback, uh, both right peer-to-peer, peer-to-manager, manager-to-employee, right, all the way around. People aren't afraid to, to talk about things. Now, we have to do it in a way that is professional and is fair uh, and all of those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's something that is missing within organizations because I actually feel bad that m- employee engagement surveys have to be anonymous, that people feel like they can't share their honest, open opinions if they put their name on something that there'll be some retribution or there'll be some cause for concern. Yeah, definitely. But people do retaliate. Absolutely. Absolutely. They retaliate. And I would never say that employee engagement surveys shouldn't be anonymous simply for the fact that I think it helps people be a little bit more honest. Um, But I do, I, I, it does make me a little sad. Yeah. Right. It's a sign. Yeah. And so I think that that's something that is also, we could track by data. Uh, you know, I think if we introduced mechanisms and methods for people to understand how to deliver and receive real performance related feedback, that real time kind of feedback that has an impact, uh, and then measure the impact of that on performance and on output. I think what we would see is that there is a tremendous amount of value in doing something like that. I, I actually, in a, 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 a former organization that I did work for, I actually did something like that. And we were able to see increases in employee engagement um, anywhere from you know, two to three percent in a gigantic organization uh, in that arena of do I feel like I'm getting feedback that impacts my performance? So we were able to see that. I think you you connect that work to how that impacts customer engagement or innovation or on-time completion. And I and I think what you would see is that it would dramatically improve those results. Now I could be wrong. But it's a little bit like when you don't measure, you know, it's a little bit like when you don't measure something, you don't know. (laughs) Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we are pretty clear on the cost of turnover. And if you could just make the connection between turnover and bad management, your case is kind of made. But I think that's really insightful that you talk about this whole wing that you'd have to develop around feedback. And that might be one of the 
one of the steps in your three steps to wipe out all ban- bad management for all time might be, you know, developing a system of feedback that that is honest and frequent and, you know, all, all those things that, that make for good constructive feedback. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned in your article is to make it easy for people to be a good leader. And I was thinking about that because Although I'd love to just say, oh, you know, I was born a good leader. The reality is because I worked for Bristol Myers Squibb, big pharmaceutical company, I started getting training right off the bat in management skills. And I got a lot of training. I mean, they trained us on everything from performance appraisals to interviewing to firing people. I mean, we just had, and that, so that did make it easy, right? I, I, I didn't develop bad habits early and, and create my own, you know, perverted ideas about how you cope with people. I was trained. And so that would be one of the things that would be to make it easy to be a good leader. I agree with you. And I think it, it's, it seems like it's a little bit of a no brainer, right? To provide leaders all of the tools and knowledge and uh, the, the, the opportunity to understand how to lead others in a way that is productive and effective. Um, but all too often, we just we just don't do that. Well, the smaller companies that I worked for, there was no such training. And that's sometimes where I would see really egregious leadership. People are just making it up as they go along. <laughs> You know, they they never got any training, especially in the biotech world, since that's what I moved into. You have people who don't have very good people skills often. And yeah, things can just go sideways really fast. Yeah, it, it can. And I think what's it's funny, you said in the in the little the smaller companies that you worked with worked for, I, I've actually seen it <laughs> I've seen it in tons of organizations, big and small. And, and I think that there's a couple of reasons for that. I, I, one is that at some level, there is a, there, there's a false belief that people who are good at their jobs are just going to be good leaders, right? Oh, so, absolutely. It's a huge problem. I think that it, what happens is that we say, okay, this person's a sale, great salesperson. They'll be a great sales manager. And there isn't a switch Right in in our brains that says you know I'm going to go from doer to manager. Right. No. So that's one thing. I think that that's a fundamental kind of false belief. I think the second is that there there isn't a core set of attributes generally in in many organizations that we've identified that make a great leader. Mm. Right. So so we haven't said that these five things are the things that consistently within our organizations of leaders that that are produce excellent results and are have exceptionally high engagement that they have these common attributes and so now these attributes in our organization are going to define what good leadership looks like so we haven't done that kind of work and that again is another opportunity for we in HR to do data gathering to make that to make that happen, right? By doing interviews and focus groups and that kind of thing to kind of suss out what that is. No, oh, gosh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I can start I can start thinking of what those would look like. I don't have any data to back it up. But if you did have that, certainly some of the mistakes that I saw made where people were put in management positions who shouldn't have been, those mistakes wouldn't have been made. 
Yeah, no, you're you're so right, and and so I think that really kind of identi- identifying that, codifying that, and again, like we would do for how do you uh, create code in a in a particular way? How do you uh, create a, a particular product? How how do you run a machine or whatever? Right. So so we would do that. We need to do that for leadership. I think the last part, and and I apologize. I know I, I keep saying this. I feel like a broken record. <laughs> is that we need to identify those data points that are connected to those attributes and showcase how those people that demonstrate those attributes, how they perform at a higher level and what that does for the organization. So when we look at things like um, cost of hire or or even cost of turnover, right? That those are things that somehow we're able to say like, oh, that's a easy thing for us to calculate. Yeah, and they are, right? And they're important, but they're a little bit misleading because what we need to be doing is being able to showcase how leaders, good leaders, impact throughput, right? Uh, to, to, to get to the end result. And I think if we were to do those things, we would see a dramatic change in the way that leaders are chosen, the way that they're compensated, the way that they're promoted. And I think the, the last thing I'll say about this, it, it, this question or statement that you made, uh, is that there are people that are just not good leaders. And they might be good people. Um, they, they might be excellent programmers. They might be exceptional salespeople, that kind of thing. But they are not good leaders. And it is okay. It should be okay to say, look, you tried it. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be a leader. This is just not, you're not cut out for this. So let's move you to another part of the organization where you can contribute in a really meaningful way and let somebody else be a people leader. So I'm I'm 5'1, right? Or or five feet, my wife says. And I cannot dunk a basketball on my own. I never have been able to. And to put me in the position to be a center uh, for a basketball team would be ridiculous. And there would be nothing I could do. There would be no training class I could take mm. to make me a center. And yet, somehow we believe, oh, leadership is this thing that everybody can do. And we can train everybody to be a leader. Oh, that's so insightful. <laughs> yes, we do. We constantly provide all this blah, blah, and books and training and everything as though everyone can be a leader. Yeah. I mean, maybe we just need to accept the fact that some people can't (laughs) and to move them out of those positions when we've made that mistake. And that's not to say that we should just kind of blanket say like, you know, these 40 people, they're they're sucky leaders and we're just going to move them out, right? We need to give people an opportunity, right? And, and, And give people some training and things like that. But at some point, we've got to say, like, that, that's it. You know, the, the, the sidewalk ends here. And so that, that, that's where we're going to need to go. And, and uh, the, the example that always comes to mind for me is, you know, there's measures in quality for uh, production of certain instruments, certain things, right, where there has to be some level of consistency, right, of quality. Mm-hmm. When there isn't that level of consistency, uh, we do something about it, right? And, and we can see the impact on customers. We can see the impact on um, market share. We can see that kind of impact. 
what is important for us to do is to be able to put that same lens on people measures on, on on human capital, right? So we have to have that certain level of consistency in terms of leadership because if we don't, there's actually lots of research that shows that when you have pockets of exceptional leaders and pockets of terrible leaders, that's actually really bad because you get those people who are employees for the terrible leaders and they look over and they say, well, wait a minute, mm-hmm. life's good over there. Uh, and I work for this jerk. Mm-hmm. And so that's not fair. And I'm disengaged and I'm not going to do well. And so if we bring everyone up and hold everybody to the same account, it makes it clear for leaders what they're accountable for. It makes it clear for employees what they should expect. And it makes it clear for senior leaders to know who am I going to put in a, in a position of leadership? How am I going to rate them? What are the attributes that I should be looking for? All of those things. It takes the guesswork out of it. Well, we're running out of time here, but this has just been so interesting. And I think I'll have to have you back on the show sometime oh, so we can keep talking about terrible managers because it's so, <laughs> so fun. <laughs> so, um, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit more about your work and where they could find you and uh, get in touch with you if you would like that? Absolutely. I would love to, Jennifer. Thank you again for this opportunity. And so uh, if folks want to learn a little bit more about uh, this topic that we've been talking about, uh, they can contact me at uh, www.cube214.com. You can find me on LinkedIn uh, and Twitter. Uh, I'm out there. And my handle on Twitter is Anil4Biz, all one word, um, A-N-I-L-F-O-R-B-I-Z. That's where I am on Twitter. And um, my areas of focus are really the conversation we've been having, right? Organizational effectiveness, how do we ensure that we're connecting HR to driving business results and then helping organizations go through big change? I'm actually just launching a coaching program for HR professionals and HR teams to help them really get grounded in this conversation uh, that we've been having about making that causal connection between leadership development and employee engagement and driving business results. And I would love to talk to any of your listeners about that. I'd even offer the opportunity to have a 15 to 30 minute conversation about any of these topics and exploring uh, what might be possible um, if we were to work together or just to learn more. Well, thank you so much, Anil, for being on the show. Thank you, Jennifer. I appreciate the time. That's it, everybody. You've made it through another episode of Dear Discreet Guide, Trouble at Work. If you have a problem at work that you would like to submit to the show, you can do that at my website, discreetguide.com. That's D-I-S-C-R-E-E-T. Spelling matters. Anyway, send in your issue. We'll treat it with confidentiality and respect and see if we can give you some tips or tools. You can also sign up for my mailing list or The Pergola, a digital publication that comes out every other month as well as get information about training programs, books for sale, individual consulting sessions, and all kinds of articles and jokes and resources, all for us to work better together. 
Thank you for joining my quest to improve our workplaces. And thanks for listening. New shows will be available every Tuesday, so tune in so you can hear more about coping with trouble at work.